I've got some pictures here on the screen of my dog, Zelda. I think I've mentioned her to you before. I don't have any kids, so all I can talk about is my dog, apparently. And uh, I've got some pictures of Zelda. She is a nine-year-old Weimaraner, and uh, she's been a great dog. She really has. She came from Florida, so moving to Alberta was a big change on her. People often ask us how we adjusted to the climate, and I'm like, what about the dogs, man? This is unexpected for them. They have no idea how to handle this sort of thing. One of the things that I love about her the most, though, is that she gets excited about the littlest things. I mean, we feed this dog three times a day, and every single time it's, you know, it's time for a, a bowl of food, even though it's dry kibble, it's never been anything but dry kibble. She doesn't know any different. And yet every single time breakfast, lunch, or dinner rolls around and she hears that scoop dumping that dry dog food into that metal bowl, she gets hyped. I mean, she starts spinning like a top. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog do that, but like chasing her tail. And, I, you know, she's prancing up and down like a pony. And I swear to you, she smiles. Can you imagine eating shredded wheat and water every single day for the rest of your entire life and still getting excited about it? I mean, that's, that's a neat thing, right? Like, I appreciate the fact that my dog is willing to tolerate, and not just tolerate, but even get excited about something very, very simple like dry kibble. Um, every morning, I go to Starbucks down at Creekside in, in Calgary, and I get a cup of coffee. And oftentimes, I'll bring her with me, you know? I'll load her up in the Jeep, and we'll drive down there. And the thing is, this is a four-minute drive, you guys, okay? And I never let her out of my car. She stays in the whole time. But the dog acts like I've taken her to Callaway Park or something. She is so excited. Like, I roll down the window, and she's got her head out. She's got these big floppy ears, and so they're just flapping in the wind like crazy. She's barking at every other dog along the road. I don't know what she's saying, but in my mind, it's like, I'm in the Jeep! She's so happy over something really, really small. And then other days, my dog Zelda seems kind of miserable, to be quite honest with you. Um, she's a hound dog, and so she often seems kind of droopy and sad, you know? And I'm probably reading too much into it, but on the days that I don't take her to Starbucks, or when she walks over to her food bowl and she sniffs at it and she's like, really, again? This is what I get again? It just seems like she gets a little bit depressed, right? She's a very grunty dog. Some of you guys have been to our house, you know, for connect groups, or maybe you've come over for dinner or a meeting, and uh, she just like always sighs and groans. She's just a vocal dog, and people are always like, aw, your dog sounds so sad. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. She really does sound miserable and depressed. I don't know. It's like she's a happy pup and a sad mutt, and you never know which one you're going to get. You never know which day she's going to be happy or sad. I kind of think it's tied to what happens during the day. Like if she gets to go on a car ride, if she gets to eat some food and she's, well, of course she always gets to eat food. That was, that made me sound like the worst pet owner in the city. Of course she gets to eat, but like maybe I'll give her a treat or something like that. Please don't call animal services. Um, anyway, <laughs> whew, I got a little nervous there. That was unplanned. Um, you know, she kind of like, I don't know, it just seems like some days she's not with it. She's just feeling down and depressed. As we kick off this new series that we're calling All the Feels, we're going to be talking about emotions. And the reason that I talked to you about my dumb dog is because I was thinking about it the other day, and when I'm really honest, I'm not that much different than my dog, and neither are you. Now, 
I realize it's bad form to get up in front of a, an audience. Many of you guys are here for the first time, and I just compared you to my dog. Let me explain what I mean, okay? What I'm saying about myself, and I think it's true of you as well, is that we are really ruled by our emotions, aren't we? Our lives are controlled by our emotions. And like my dog, our emotions are controlled by the circumstances of our lives. We feel happy when things are going well, and we feel very sad and angry and anxious when things are not going very well. And so this month, we're going to be digging into the idea of emotions in this series. We're going to be sharing with you some ways that you can deal with the feels that you have in your life, the different things that you have going on in your heart and in your mind, and you're wondering, how do I handle it? How do I deal with all of the feels? Like, it is a tough way to live, isn't it, when you are allowing yourself to be controlled by the day's events? When good things happen, you feel great. When bad things happen, you feel bad. How many of you guys know that's just a hard way to live? It is draining. It is jarring. It is confusing because you don't know if the next text that you receive is going to make your day or it's going to ruin your whole year. So then I started studying, what does the Bible say about emotions? Because I needed it for my own heart, to be honest with you. And I started looking through, you know, what does the scripture teach on emotions? And like, are emotions good or are they bad? Are emotions a trustworthy thing for me to base my life on, or are they not a good guide? What do I do if my emotions get out of control? What do I do if there's a part of my emotional life that I need to address, but I just don't know how? And I know that this is an important question, and it's an important topic because I have to ask that of myself periodically. And when I sit down as a pastor in counseling sessions, oftentimes I get asked these questions as well. So I know that they're in some of your minds this morning. Like, if you desperately want to be happy, but you can't, what do you do? How do you feel better? How do you experience more positive emotions? Or I've had times where a guy has called me up and he said, hey, Dan, we need to go get coffee. And so we do. And he says, look, my wife's given me an ultimatum. And she says, either you get control of your anger or this thing is over. And he's like, what do I do? I don't know how to control the emotions that are controlling me. And so we want to answer those sorts of questions over the next four weeks. Today, we're going to talk about happiness in particular. We'll talk about a different emotion each week. Some of them are very positive. Some of them are less positive. And so today, we're going to focus in on the idea of happiness. What is it? How do I find it? How do I keep it? Anybody want more happiness in their life? Yeah, absolutely. I do too. Thank you very much. If I can find a way to get more of it, that would be really, really nice. So why don't we look at what the scripture has to say? The Bible's going to give us some insight, some wisdom on where we can find true happiness in our lives. I think it's really helpful. Are you ready for it? It's Philippians chapter number four. It's just one verse. It's not even that much. The scripture says here, Philippians chapter number four, verse four, always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice with an exclamation point. Okay. Um, cool. 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 Yeah. That's good, I guess. I was kind of hoping to get some idea of how I can be happier, right? Like, I want to be happier. I want more happiness, but I'm struggling with trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, if we're honest and we read Philippians 4.4, 4, it seems like it's telling us what to do, 
but it doesn't really seem to be telling us how to do it, does it? It just says, be happy. And you're like, well, if I knew how to be happy, I would be happy, wouldn't I? And so if my circumstances in life are not very good, how is it, God, that I'm supposed to be happy? How is it when life is tough and nothing is turning out the way that I expected, or even if life's not that bad, but it's just not all that great, how in the world am I supposed to be happy? And beyond that, like, isn't it weird to just command an emotion? Isn't that a strange thing for God to say? Be joyful. It's like, well, I want to be, but aren't emotions something that happen to us? Like, do we really have any control over whether or not we are happy? Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. I really do. And that is that this verse is way deeper than you think it is. If you just read it superficially, it's like a command that you're supposed to be happy, but it doesn't really tell you how you're supposed to make that happen. That's what a superficial or a shallow reading of this verse will teach you. But this verse is much deeper than you realize. And it actually does tell us how we can experience more of the happiness that we're looking for. It's there in that short little verse. It all starts with three little words. Do you know what three words I'm talking about here in this passage? J-O. Why? Joy. Joy. You might have noticed that Philippians chapter number four, verse four, that that verse that we just read, you might have noticed that it does not speak of happiness at all. The word happy or happiness, it's just not even in there. Instead, this passage speaks about joy, which is really important, okay? Most of us, if we thought about happiness and joy, we might have some questions about it. We might be like, aren't they the same thing? Like, is there really a difference between the two? Is joy any better than happiness? If it is, honestly, I just settle for happiness. I'm good with that, whatever the differences might be. Like, why does the Bible make such a big deal about the subject of joy? Here's something you may not know. The Bible almost never talks about happiness, You may have heard in some churches that the Bible's goal is to make you happy. And if you want a happy life, then you follow everything the Bible says and you will be happy. But you know, the word happy or happiness only occurs 25 times in the entire Bible. All these words. And it only talks about happiness a handful of times. And yet, this same book talks about joy or joyfulness, or rejoicing several hundred times throughout its pages. So the scripture really shows a clear preference for joy instead of happiness, that there is something true about joy that is not true of happiness, something that is richer, something that is deeper, something that is better than what you may have settled for by simply seeking happiness in your day-to-day life. Why? What's the difference? What is it that makes the Bible so strongly prefer joy instead of happiness? It comes down to the source, the source of happiness versus the source of joy. See, if we were to define these two words, we could start by defining happiness this way. Happiness is good feelings that come from good fortune. That's what happiness is. It's good feelings. You're feeling great about life and the way things are going because everything seems to be going in the right direction. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances. For as long as things go well, then we can be happy. If the kids are getting along, 
if our GPA is strong, if all our bills are paid, then we're like, okay, everything's going well. I'm happy. I don't have any reason to be unhappy. And each of us, we work so hard to stay in this little happiness zone, don't we? I mean, we try hard to control our lives so that everything is just so and everything is going in the way we want it to go so that we can be happy. But as you and I have all discovered, we're not really in control of life, are we? We're not in control of our circumstances. And without warning, and in just a few minutes' time, Everything that had been going so well and making you happy can flip. And all of a sudden, you lose your job, or you get a call from the doctor and he doesn't have good news, or your spouse says, hey, sit down at the kitchen table, we need to talk. Something happens to flip the script, now things are not going well, and your happiness is out the window. So when those hard days come, and you know they're going to come, right? You might be in the middle of it right now, and that's why you came to church today. Or you may know that it is going to come at some point, like life can't be good forever. When those hard days inevitably come, what are you supposed to do? When your happiness is robbed by the circumstances of life, how are you supposed to handle that? What are you supposed to do when that happens? Now, our culture will tell you the best you can hope for is to put on a brave face, keep trucking along, one day your circumstances will change, they'll get better, and you'll be happy. That's it. That's like, if you really pay attention to the advice that most people give you, when life turns ugly, the best that anybody has to offer is, it'll get better, just keep at it, keep doing what you should be doing, it'll get better, it'll get better. Nobody likes to acknowledge the fact that some situations don't turn around for years. Some situations never turn around at all. So if you're in one of those moments, what are you gonna do when it seems like happiness is not coming back anytime soon? Maybe not even ever because of what you're going through. How are you supposed to handle that sort of situation? Well, the scripture tells us that we have access to an emotion that is much deeper than happiness. This emotion is joy. And joy is deep when happiness is shallow. Joy is abiding when happiness is fleeting. Joy is based on something other than your circumstances. According to the scripture, even when life goes to hell, you can still have joy. You may not be able to have happiness, but you can still have joy. That's the difference. And that's why joy is something the Bible speaks of quite often, and happiness is something the scripture almost never talks about. This is also why in Philippians 4.4, the verse we read a moment ago, that the, the Bible can command that we always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, I'll say it again, you should always rejoice. Listen, if, if, if good vibes are only tied to life circumstances, like if you only have reason to smile when things are going well, then I'll be the first to say this verse is not only impossible, because you can't always be happy, you can't always smile, Right? I'll be the first to say it's not only impossible, but it's probably a bit inappropriate because there are some things that happen in life, you guys, 
And the appropriate, the healthy response is not like this carefree, happy-go-lucky, good vibe attitude. There are some things that will happen in your life and you cannot smile it away. You cannot laugh your way through some of these hard times that you and I face. And so the Bible, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that there actually is a time to weep. There is a time to grieve. And, and as we'll see next week, there is a time for healthy anger even. There is a time for all of these emotions that we try so hard to get past because they make us feel sad. We don't want to be sad. We want to be happy. So we think we just got to fast forward through that part of life as quickly as possible and get to the happy, clappy sort of parts. But I'm telling you that joy doesn't replace these deeper emotions that you and I experience. Joy exists simultaneously with them, and it's deeper than all of them. You can't be happy and sad at the same time. You realize that, right? Either you're happy or you're sad. They are mutually exclusive. You define one by the absence of the other, okay? And so you can be happy or you can be sad. But when you're talking about joy, this different emotion, this deeper emotion, you can be joyful even in the middle of life's most difficult seasons. You can be joyful even when you're not feeling very happy. Arguably, joy only makes sense in the context of hard times in in life. If we didn't have hard times, then we would only be happy, and that would be the only emotion that we needed to talk about. But you and I go through struggles. The struggle, whatever it is, is very real. And when that happens, happiness isn't going to transition you, but joy absolutely will. I want you guys to understand, maybe you don't. Maybe you're new to this whole faith thing and you showed up this morning and you're like, I want to check it out. I want to see what's going on at church. You know, maybe you have people in your life that go to church. You're like, why would they bother giving up a Sunday morning? Um, Maybe this will help you to understand something. That part of the reason people turn to faith in life's deepest crises, the reason that hard times often bring people closer to God instead of pushing them further away is not because people need a crutch, to deal with hard days. That's not it at all. In fact, people don't come to church so they can be less sad and instead be more happy. That's not worth getting out of bed for, to be quite honest with you. Instead, when people turn to faith, particularly in life's hardest days, it's not because they're looking for happiness. It's because they're looking for a new language, a new set of emotions to deal with what they are going through. Maybe three years or so after our church launched, we had a couple that walked through the door for the very first time. And they walked in the door crying their eyes out. Now, sometimes people leave crying, um, but people don't often walk into church already shedding tears. And this couple came in and they were just, you could tell they were hurt. They were weeping. They were broken. So I had a conversation with the husband, and first day, first day, he tells me about a a very real loss. They they had a miscarriage, and how the loss of this pregnancy and this child left them without anchor. They had no idea what they were supposed to do, where they were supposed to turn, what in the world was going to see them through this kind of situation. Happiness wasn't going to cut it, and sadness wasn't a real enough word to describe what they were feeling. 
And I'll tell you, this couple is here in the auditorium today. They've stuck around. They serve on our team. You're actually going to get to hear their story in depth in the month of January. Can't wait for it. It's going to be incredible. They stuck around. And they discovered and bought into a relationship with God. Not because something we said helped them feel a little happier. But rather, we gave them or pointed them towards joy that could see them through the situation and the season that they were going through. They didn't need me to kiss their boo-boo and make it better. That's insulting to what they were going through in the moment. But the scripture talks about a joy that is deep. It is unspeakable. It is rich and abiding and abundant. And when you are going through the hardest things you could ever imagine, happiness is not the answer but joy absolutely is. Happiness is based on circumstances. It can be great while it's there, and it can be snatched away from you in a moment. But joy is something better. It is based on something deeper. What is that something deeper? Well, the Bible told us there in Philippians chapter number four, verse four. If you notice it there, we'll even underline it so it stands out really nicely for you. That something deeper, if happiness is anchored to circumstances and joy is anchored to something else altogether, what is that thing? It is always in the scripture presented as a relationship to God. That's what the scripture says joy ultimately springs out of. If you want joy in your life, you will find it in closeness with your God. That is where it is. And if I can be real frank for a moment, it's the reason that most people in our world never experience joy to the degree that the Bible is talking about here. Because they don't have a relationship with God. They're not interested in a relationship with God. They're looking for something that will make them happy again. And so they don't turn to the source of the one thing that will see them through whatever it is they're going through. Joy comes from God. Every time it's presented in Scripture, those hundreds and hundreds of times, it's always tied to the Lord. It says it here in Philippians 4.4, always be full of joy in the Lord. So let me define this again. I told you what the definition of happiness was. Let me tell you a definition of joy that you can run with, something you can cling to, something that can help you in the middle of your hard days, all right? Happiness is good feelings that come from good fortune, but joy is a great faith that comes from a good father. Happiness is good feelings that come from good fortune, but joy is a great faith that comes from having a good father. Joy is always tied to a real and personal relationship with God. You will experience a little bit of joy without God because he's good and he'll give it to you anyway, even if you don't ask him for it, but you will never experience it the way that you can short of turning to your heavenly father. Let me show you um, one chapter earlier than where we have been reading. We've been reading in Philippians 4. We're going to look at Philippians 3, and we're going to look at a, a small section of verses here that's written by the same guy, okay? And I want you to look at what he says. Thinking about joy as something that we get from God, something that's not dependent on our circumstances, something that can see you through whatever circumstances you're going through. Look at what he says. This guy, who wrote the book says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and I do it to safeguard your faith. 
We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though he says, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Now, we're going to skip about six verses here, but I'll tell you what he does in those six verses. You can go read them on your own if you like. In these six verses, Paul, the guy who writes this, he lists out all the best things that he's done in his life. Every good deed he can think of, he's listed them all out. Then he actually acknowledges some of the bad things that he's done in his life. And believe me, Paul did some bad things. And he puts them all out there writes them down on paper, he puts them all out in public for people to see. And then he says this, I once thought that all of those things mattered, but now I consider them worthless. They're unimportant. They're not even worth giving another thought because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else in my life is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I count everything else as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. And look at how he wraps up this passage. I no longer count, my, count on my own goodness through obeying the rules. Rather, I know now that I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him is, depends on faith and not works. So now he says, I want to know Christ. That's what I'm all about. That's what we're about here at Connect. I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. When you are going through a season of death in your life, you don't need happiness. You need resurrection. You need somebody that's going to transition you to a totally different state of being. Happiness isn't going to cut it, but joy will. The mighty power that even raised Christ from the dead. I am willing, Paul says, to even suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Hey, we're talking about joy this morning. Real, honest-to-goodness joy. And this sort of joy comes from recognizing that first and foremost, God loves you. You may not have heard that before. You may have always thought, oh, Christianity in the Bible, it teaches that God is pissed at everybody because they're screw-ups and he wants to punish them for their sins and it's all about judgment. No, the fundamental teaching. I could sum up the entire Bible in three words. God loves you. He genuinely loves you. Do you know that your best deeds cannot earn that? And your worst days cannot ruin that? God loves you. That's reason for joy. That's reason for celebration. That's reason to cling to him when nothing else seems to give you what you need. Through Jesus, every single one of us have been forgiven and restored to the Father. I'm telling you guys, this is very good news. In Jesus, separation always gives way to reconciliation. In Jesus, hopelessness always gives way to confidence. In Jesus, death always dies and life always wins because there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is a God who is looking out for you when you feel like all of life is against you. There is something available to you that will see you through everything you've been going through. This is why the scripture says in the book of Romans, if God is for us, who could be against us? 
This is why Jesus said in the book of John, I want you to be of good cheer. Another way to translate that is, be full of joy, people, because I have overcome the world. David says in the book of Psalms, weeping might last for a night. But how many of you guys know joy comes in the morning? It is not the end. It is not the final chapter. You are not at the end of your rope because you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who's done everything necessary to reconcile you to himself and to give you life in abundance. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's all well and good, Dan. Honestly, that's great. Cool. But I don't think you know the hell that I'm going through. And I doubt that whoever it was that wrote the book of Philippians here, I doubt he understands the gravity of what I'm dealing with. You know, this guy, Paul, you said, this dude who wrote Philippians, he's probably some rich white guy who is sitting in his cushy leather chair, you know, in his office, in his nice mansion, writing. He's getting paid to write books of the Bible, being waited on by servants. Like, this guy probably has no clue what it's like to suffer, right? Let me give you one piece of information. It'll give you a brand new perspective on this book and many others just like it. The guy who wrote this was not some rich, privileged dude. In fact, when he wrote these words, whatever happens, we will rejoice in the Lord. He wrote those words in a prison cell on death row. Soon after, the ink was dried on this letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. Paul was beheaded for his faith. He was an innocent man, falsely accused, and he died for it. And in a prison cell, in the worst situation you could ever possibly imagine, by the way, a situation that didn't get any better for him before he died, the thought that was continually on his mind wasn't his circumstances, It wasn't sadness. It wasn't, how do I get happier? The thought that was rolling around in his brain over and over again was joy in the Lord, joy in his God, a belief in the goodness of God, even when you can't see it in front of you. Because Paul knew something that I hope you come to realize as well. Whatever it is that you're facing today is not your final chapter. It is not the end of your story. Your marriage may be on the brink. You may have already signed papers. It may be done and over with in that sense, but that's not the final chapter of your story. Your health may be on the decline, but I'm telling you in Jesus, it is not the end of your story. The final chapter as we see it in scripture, has nothing to do with your marriage or your bank account or your health. The reason that we have great joy in the Lord is because the final chapter tells of how Jesus has victory over every one of those things, including our sin. That's the final victory we get hyped about. That's what we're celebrating. It's not that God makes us happy when we're sad. And it's not that, well, God will help you get through it. No, it is the promise of God that everything that's wrong in this world, everything that's gone wrong in your life, it will be made right. I told you before, I'm gonna keep saying it until the day God takes me home. For Christians, things can go badly, but they can never end badly. You say, but Paul died. He lost his head. Dude went to Jesus rejoicing. 
He's alive. You say, well, that's dumb. I don't believe it. Cool, that's fine. One day you're gonna see that God was right. And there is a final chapter that's being written. And in this final chapter, everything that's good comes true. And everything that's wrong and unjust and evil becomes undone. This is why we talk about joy instead of happiness. Because when you look at things on the cosmic scale, happiness is temporary. But joy is eternal. Yes, sadness is real, but joy is realer. There is something more to it. Guys, you don't need more happiness that comes and goes based on life's unpredictable circumstances. You need more joy that comes and stays because of God's unshakable love for you.